to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Every Civil War story that we read today is really two stories, that of the people who lived it in the 1860s and that of the people since then who preserved the records so that we can read it now. It's not often that the story we know and the story of how we know it are equally dramatic in their different ways, but that's the case tonight when we'll learn about Captain Samuel Sims of the 51st New York Infantry Regiment and how his story was almost lost when we talk with Jeffrey Richmond, author of The Gallant Sims, a Civil War Hero Rediscovered, tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you from the third floor of the Brewster Building, uh, A-Wing, on the campus of East Carolina University. But not speaking for the university or... UNC system or history department or anybody else, just myself, and always our guest will do the same thing here on Civil War Talk Radio. It is a warm September evening in 2017 as we speak to you tonight. It is still light out but getting dark. The football season is well underway. The ECU Pirates won their first game of the season after three defeats and their first game in the last, I think, 17 tries, if I'm not mistaken, uh, beating UConn 41-38. to It's good to score 41 points, but when your defense gives up 38, including blowing a 20-point lead and letting the other team miss a short-tying field goal with seconds remaining, it's about as bad a feeling as you can get about winning a game. Uh, but hey, we'll take it. Uh, This week, the Pirates play a nationally ranked team again, so there will be no mention next week of the score. It'll be too ugly to mention. It's midterm exam week here on campus. Uh, Last 
weekend was spent grading the exams of the introductory students in U.S. history, 1877 to the present. 90 students times five IDs and one essay makes for six times 90, 540 grading opportunities. Uh, but wait, you ask, don't you have a graduate student to do that work for you? And the answer is sometimes yes. Uh, but we have a world-renowned underwater archaeology and history program here, the Maritime Studies program. And my graduate student this semester is uh, a student in that program, and they all spend September at field school diving for shipwrecks. So she's not back to campus till October, and I had to grade them all myself. One's heart breaks for the effort, but uh, it was actually quite uplifting to, to see most of the students had prepared and knew what they were about. Uh, it, it was There were none so funny as to be worth repeating uh, uh, to you tonight in terms of bad answers. They really all did a good, uh, put in a good effort. Well, this past week here in Greenville, North Carolina, the county commissioners of Pitt County met to discuss a resolution relating indirectly to the Civil War monument in our town, the monument to our Confederate dead. And this raised an issue as a public historian. Uh, if I teach public history to students, I ought to practice it. So I tried to contribute to the process by going down and I was one of the five speakers during the open comment period at the commissioners meeting uh, and spoke uh, did not advise the commissioners what to do that's a political decision but from a historian's point of view simply pointed out to them that the monument was was not an accurate representation of Pitt County's civil war experience our confederate dead represented the soldiers who fought for the confederate army but Pitt County contributed contributed soldiers to the first Union North Carolina, the second North Carolina Union volunteers, uh, 35th and 36th United States Colored Troops, and other Union units as well. So when we continue the practice started in 1914 of commemorating only one side, I pointed out that would be like a World War II monument to the Democrats of Pitt County, uh, not recognizing the Republicans or independents who fought in that war as well even though their numbers weren't as large. Uh, needless to say, this had no effect on the commissioners by a vote of uh, six white commissioners to three African-American commissioners. They decided not to do anything, and the, the newspaper made the racial breakdown plain. Uh, the implication they leave to the reader, I suppose. Related to this Civil War news, uh, a publication I recommend to you as a, a very interesting way to keep up on, on current publications if you don't subscribe to an academic journal, and, and in many cases it's understandable. Uh, Civil War News is, I think it's monthly. Uh, uh, we've talked with folks from the, the paper before on this show, and they keep you up to date on what's going on in the Civil War world. It used to be sort of heavily reenactor slanted, less so nowadays. But the cover story this week is about the Jefferson Davis presidential uh, so-called uh, museum and library in Beauvoir, Mississippi, that is asking towns to send their unwanted Confederate memorials. Uh, if, if it's going to be taken down, they would like to preserve it on their grounds. And that strikes me as a, an excellent uh, thought, a, a compromise that takes the uh, memorial out of the, the public venue and puts it in a place where it's fully appreciated and will be carefully preserved. 
the one argument that really struck me the wrong way in their piece was that they wanted to preserve these monuments as examples of great art. And in fact, a lot of them were actually mass produced. They're really not sort of mediocre art and very similar. But I'm somewhat intrigued by the idea of towns across the South sending their mass-produced Confederate infantry statues to the Jefferson Davis Memorial. He could end up with an entire regiment of them on the front lawn. Uh, Maybe not a bad idea. Well, back to Civil War talk radio. I mentioned last week not every book here gets published. uh, I'm sorry, not every book published that gets sent here gets talked about the pace at which books are being sent in is starting to increase, which is nice. It gives us a chance to decide what would be most interesting to talk about uh, and for you to hear. And we've got a bunch of great ones coming up. I sent an updated list this morning to Mark Gaffney, who keeps the website www.impedimentsofwar.org up to date, likewise the Facebook page, and he has already added the new ones. We've got some some great presenters coming up. Uh, mention them quickly. Uh, next week, Ken Heinemann, Civil War Dynasty on the Ewings of Ohio. On the 11th of October, Kate Lineberry in her book about Robert Smalls, the uh, man who escaped from slavery and eventually became a war hero and member of Congress. On the 18th, Joan Waugh, co-author with Gary Gallagher of The American War. It's a textbook I'm using this semester in uh, the, the U.S. Civil War course. The 25th, D.H. Dilbeck, in his first book, A More Civil War, How the Union Waged a Just War. In November, Carlton Young has a book about uh, another book, somewhat like tonight, where we hear from soldiers whose voices wouldn't be heard otherwise, the Williamstown Boys in the Civil War. Gary Cross rejoins us, we promise, on October 8th, the Civil War uh, Gettysburg Licensed Battlefield Guide. And then on uh, the 15th, I'm delighted to say that uh, Gordon Ray will be back on the show to talk about his new book on the uh, uh, approach to Petersburg, the last in his series on the Overland Campaign. His previous interview was was a real treat, and I'm glad he'll be back. On the 29th, Andy Wosky of Philadelphia, uh, Temple University, has written a book about Philadelphia, but so much more about Civil War, and I've got lots of recommendations over the years. Get him on the show. He'll be here in November, and we'll wrap up with Sam Elliott and his book about uh, John Brown, not that John Brown, but the governor of Tennessee, John Brown. Uh, that'll be in December. So lots coming up. Watch the website. Look at the the Facebook page. Donate your money to Civil War Talk Radio Book Fund and Libation Fund and parking ticket fund or whatever I choose to spend it on. It's not tax deductible. Do all those things and you'll know what's going on here at the show. Tonight we're talking about Captain Samuel Sims, the gallant Sims, with Jeffrey I. Richmond. He is a returning guest. It's been 10 years now almost since he last appeared here. Uh, Jeffrey, are you there? I'm here. Welcome back to the show. Um, Oh, well, thank you very much. It has been 10 years since we talked, and I, I hope our listeners will go back and check out the episode of uh, December 7th, 2007. They can hear you talking about uh, your, your home place, Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. But could you give us a, a quick uh, summary of what is Greenwood Cemetery and, and, and what's its connection to the Civil War? 
Greenwood is uh, one of the great, perhaps the greatest uh, rural cemetery in America. And so it's founded in 1838. And by the time the Civil War rolls around, it is the place, particularly for New Yorkers, to be interred. And so we, in 2002, launched a Civil War project at Greenwood to locate Civil War veterans in the wake of the rededication of New York City's uh, Civil War monument at Greenwood. And we thought at that point we were going to find perhaps 500 Civil War veterans. And we have actually identified 5,000. Wow. So for each of those on our website, on the cemetery's website, green-wood.com, we have a biography that has been researched and written by volunteers of our Civil War project. And we have found some remarkable stories. We have 16 full generals, including Henry Halleck, including Fitzjohn Porter, Henry Slocum, and two Confederate generals, uh, Robert Selden Garnett, who has the distinction of being the first general killed in battle during the Civil War, and also Nathaniel Harrison Harris from Mississippi, uh, who is also interred at Greenwood. And so it, as I said, was the place we have uh, in the 19th century for many Americans to be buried. We have men from many, many states, from Iowa and Pennsylvania, who are interred there also. And I believe our last count was we have about 85 Confederates, uh, most of whom uh, or many of whom were officers in the Army of Northern Virginia and came north with the southern economy in collapse after the war, uh, the most aggressive of the Confederates and established themselves in Brooklyn, New York for the economic opportunities. It's a remarkable story. And you play the role of historian for the cemetery. Is that right? I do. It's it's actually a full-time job. So uh, there are very few full-time cemetery historians, I think, in America. (laughs) And I am fortunate to be uh, one of them. That's great. I'm always telling my public history students about the range of opportunities in public history. And the thing is, some of the jobs, a fair number, are one of a kind. And it sounds like yours is certainly one of those. It is. It is. Uh, Our last historian at Greenwood, the first and uh, last until I came along, died in 1880. So we had a bit of a gap between the two of us, but uh, I sort of created this position, and uh, it has been a uh, wonderful thing for me. It's given me an opportunity to write uh, three and a half books on behalf of the cemetery and do all sorts of uh, historical discoveries of people who are interred at Greenwood. Well, listeners, you can follow up on this uh, final camping ground, I believe is the name of the book we discussed back in 2007 that, that talks about many of the veterans uh, buried there. Tonight we're talking about uh, Samuel Sims, and we have to start with the meta story, uh, the story about the story of how uh, how we know anything about this, uh, this Civil War hero today. Uh, we've got just a few minutes till the break. We might not get the whole thing in, uh, but we'll let's get started. We'll pick it up after the break. Uh, your your book starts with a story. It starts with a, a, a ride on a garbage truck. Is really the beginning paragraph uh, that caught my attention. It 
Yes, it does. Uh, I'm used to writing chronologically, and so this book was a little bit of a challenge because I thought one of the uh, dramatic arcs to start the book off would be uh, the initial story going back to 1993. And so uh, a fellow by the name of Mark Curry was actually working for the gas company. And he went to a home to turn the gas off. The uh, widow who lived there had died. And the several charities that had inherited the estate uh, had cleaned out the house to the extent that they felt was viable and had put everything else out in the trash. And this was a house came, in California. Right, in Santa Barbara, California. And so he came okay. up the driveway and he looked and there were these trash cans with what looked like 19th century scrapbooks in them. And he swears that he heard the garbage truck coming down the street and decided to grab these scrapbooks and put them in his uh, van and uh, discovered when he got home that night that he had Civil War letters written uh, by and to a Captain Samuel Harris Sims from the 51st New York, and he had uh, artwork that Sims had done, and he had commissions both pre-war and during the Civil War, from Sims and quite a cache of uh, materials that it turned out Sims' family had lovingly preserved until they effectively died off and uh, these materials got uh, thrown in the trash. And so he saved those. And at the same time, back, well, earlier, 1976, a fellow by the name of Stuart McPherson had been given by his uh, relatives a trunk, which it turned out had materials that a woman by the name of Carrie Dayton, who was Samuel Sims's fiance, had saved uh, after her uh, captain, uh, not to give the ending away, but Sims is killed at the Battle of the Crater. And Carrie dedicates herself to telling his story and collecting material pertaining to him. And these, uh, Stuart was able to buy quite a bit of the material from the Santa Barbara cache that was found in 1993. And he had the material from 1976. And lo and behold, uh, Greenwood was able to buy this material 10 years ago. And, so we're, we're, uh, let me step in right here, Jeff, if I sure. may. We'll, and we'll take a short break. We'll find out uh, how this finally came to Greenwood's hands and what they've done with it. We'll talk more with our guest, Jeffrey I. Richmond, author of The Gallant Sims, A Civil War Hero Rediscovered. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Now you can take your favorite Voice America radio program with you anywhere. Sign up for our mobile app if you have an iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. The Voice America Interactive Radio Player, powered by Aircast, gives you the freedom to listen to any of our programs anywhere, live, and on demand. No registration is required. Listen to your favorite Voice America hosts and discover new ones. Download the Voice America mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry, powered by Aircast. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu. Dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking tonight with Jeff Richmond, author of The Gallant Sims, A Civil War Hero Rediscovered. Uh, and always multitasking here at Civil War Talk Radio. Over the break, emails were just exchanged, and yet another guest lined up, Matt Borowick, who talks about Civil War roundtables, will be with us in February of 2018. Uh, literally happened during the break. I think got emails back and forth, never stopping, always serving the Civil War community. In our first section, we talked about the remarkable uh, close call where the Sims archive of, of letters, of uh, commissions, of all kinds of, of uh, sketches, beautiful sketches and maps uh, were in, in the garbage in front of a house in, in Santa Barbara, California, and the gas meter reader fellow decides, I'll keep those, takes them home. Was he interested in the Civil War when he did that? Do you know, Jeff? Uh, he knew very little about the Civil War, but he was intrigued by what he saw and started to research. And, in fact, uh, then he uh, overheard one of the people that he worked with at the gas company talking about a trip she was about to make to the East to see Civil War battlefields mm. and told her that he was going to change her life <laughs> by showing her this material. And she, in fact in 2005 was reading the Civil War news and saw an ad that I had placed that said anybody who knows about a Civil War soldier who's interred at Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery, please get in touch with me. And Sue Ramsey emailed me and said that she had copies of all this material that had been found and would send it to me. And she's the one who really put together uh, the story of Captain Sims, and was in touch with Stuart McPherson, who was, had, adopted, uh, had inherited that material from Carrie Dayton, the fiancé, and had collected a lot of the material, and kind of informed me that Stuart was interested in selling the materials, and we were able to negotiate a uh, purchase. And so I was just so taken by this story that though it did take me 10 years, I'm very happy that we were able to produce this book and tell uh, Captain Sims' story. It, it is uh, a great story and, and a very 
attractive book, I will say. The, Thank you. I, I was struck by the, the way the Internet has changed the collecting world that by using uh, people using Ancestry.com to look up things about themselves and other people, uh, being able to advertise not by a, a classified ad in something like Civil War News, but online where it gets seen immediately by by many people, we're able to make connections now that, that were just unthinkable uh, a few decades ago. And and to pull Absolutely. all the threads of the Sims story together, it, it's really something. Yeah, and I can give you an example of that. We, as part of this collection, we had both the and the program for the dedication of a monument uh, to Captain Sims at Greenwood. And so what's remarkable about this story is the dramatic arc. Uh, first of all, Sims, let me give you a little background about him. Yes, sure. uh, He was really a citizen soldier and so served in the militia, both the uh, 13th Brooklyn and the 14th Brooklyn before the war. And then uh, when the attack on Fort Sumter occurred within uh, three or so days, he enlisted in the 13th and served for 90 days and then came back and decided that he wanted to organize a regiment of the 51st New York, the Shepherd Rifles. And he enlisted as a private, had his best friend, Gus Dayton, who just by coincidence happened to be the brother of the fiancé, Carrie Dayton, uh, and signed up uh, his friends from this uh, community of Brooklyn. And so enlisted 100 men and became the captain of Company G. Uh, He was a glass stainer by profession and an artist. And so he went off to the war and created art. And so he would send carved peach pits that he would carve for his beloved uh, fiance back from the front. He would send her wildflowers from Virginia that he would pick. When he was in Mississippi serving there, he sent her a passion flower. And so we actually have the letters with these uh, flowers uh, pressed on to the paper and uh, imprinted there forever and ever. And he was uh, quite an amazing fellow. And so the title of the book, The Gallant Sims, is not something that I made up. It's in quotation marks. And that's because that's what routinely the men who served with him called him. And this was a man who in 1861 went in as a captain and when he died at the crater, he was still the captain of Company G. He felt he had recruited these men, and he turned down all uh, advancements, all promotions, to stay with these men. He felt obligated to them. And they just tremendously admired him. And so I started to talk about the monument to him at Greenwood. He dies in 1864. By 1886, one of his comrades is walking through Greenwood Cemetery and comes across Captain Sims's unmarked grave and realizes that this man deserves better and dedicates himself for the next two years to raising money for a monument 
And let me read to you what the men inscribe on this beautiful monument. In life we esteemed this valiant soldier. In death we honor him without fear and without reproach. And so these men fought the world of this fellow. And now we're getting back to the question that you asked about the Internet. Uh, I noticed uh-huh. that on the program for the dedication of the monument, a drummer by the name of Jesse Mills was listed as the drummer who would be uh, performing at the ceremonies. And so it occurred to me to do a little research on Jesse Mills and perhaps find a photograph of him on the Internet. And lo and behold, I struck it rich because, first of all, I discovered that Jesse Mills is buried at Greenwood Cemetery. Ah. Just uh, within uh, walking distance of Captain Sims. I discovered that Jesse Mills lived into the 1930s and that he had been active in the Grand Army of the Republic. And he himself, we later learned when we were researching World War I uh, veterans who were buried at Greenwood, mm-hmm. that Jesse Mills, the drummer boy from the 51st New York, had filled out applications to the Department of Veterans Affairs for others to get them monuments, World War I veterans. And we discovered that we, in fact, as part of our Civil War project, had gotten a monument for Jesse Mills. And then I found a photograph of Jesse Mills and told this wonderful story about him that at the Battle of Newburn, which was the first time that the 51st was engaged, many of the drummer boys ran away as the fire started and Jesse Mills bravely continued uh, to drum the 51st into battle. And for that captain Sims within a few days called out company G and presented Jesse Mills with a silver mounted drumsticks with an inscription from the 13th regiment for his bravery in battle. And so this was in uh, 1862, and now we're talking 26 years later, he appears at the grave of Captain Sims to drum at the unveiling of Sims's new monument. It, it is a remarkable story, and it really it speaks to the just must have been uh, incredible charisma of this man of, of Samuel Sims. Uh, you pointed out his, his fiance Carrie Dayton uh, was you know, dedicated the rest of her life to to preserving Sims' memory. He already he had been married once before. Is that right? That's correct. And his wife had died in 1860. And because it, I was initially confused looking at the the family tree and seeing well he has children but he's got a fiance but then of course mm-hmm. it's his would have been his second wife. Uh, but clearly, Carrie Dayton was was strongly taken with him. Uh, you you told the story of how uh, Sue Ramsey got the uh, was given the letters uh, and told these will change your life. Um, that's a line I don't think I, I, I had the opportunity to use in many years. Being happily married for a long time, meeting a woman and promising <laughs> to change your life, but. But in this case, uh, your book says Sue Ramsey said she fell in love with Captain Sims uh, at the distance of 150 years. We do have a uh, 
the third chapter in the book is falling in love with Captain Sims 130 years after his death. And so and Sue has really dedicated herself. She has scattered uh, CDs around the National Park Service, uh, the story of Captain Sims, and has been tremendously helpful. We actually uh, found, I believe through Sue's work, uh, a letter that Sims had written to a uh, the widow of a Thomas Stockwell, who was mm. killed at Burnside's Bridge as the 51st New York and the 51st Pennsylvania tried to punch across that bridge repeatedly. And there's a uh, wonderful photograph in the Library of Congress collection of wooden headboards at the base of the bridge and a stone wall. And we believe that Stockwell was one of those people. But we also were able to find a letter that Sims wrote from Fredericksburg. Uh, the 51st was heavily engaged at Mary's Heights. And uh, 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 John Byram was uh, carrying the flag there, was shot down. And Sims wrote to his widow, apologizing and explaining that they had repeatedly tried to recover his body and each time the fire had been so heavy that they were unable to do so. So as, as part of our Civil War project, we were actually able to convince the VA to give us a cenotaph to Byram, who has no grave, because hmm. he is buried somewhere on the field there. Wow. It, uh, and, and Sims, as, as the captain of the company, had that melancholy duty of writing to next of kin for... Uh, uh, for men in the unit who were killed, so so those, but that creates a historical record that we wouldn't otherwise have. Now, That's you, correct, you, and it's wonderful. Man's concern. Uh, it's not just a quick note that he jotted off. It is a sincere note that he felt an obligation to the men who were serving under him, and coming right back. They felt, you know, he was the gallant Sims. He was in 26 battles. Uh, his older brother served in the 51st New York also, uh, Palin Sims, and he's buried right next to him. Uh, his uh, younger brother, Charles, served in the 48th New York. Uh, the older brother, Palin, uh, was a lieutenant in the 51st who was captured at Pop Springs, uh, south of Petersburg. Uh, with much of the 51st New York, was imprisoned at Danville and then Libby in Richmond. And he came home a shaken and uh, really battered man. He tried to go back at the very end, just before Appomattox, to Farmville. And the men reported that he was just uh, pretty much of a physical mess. And he tried to tell the story also of Captain Sims, but in 1876, the brother Palin was uh, performing in a uh, theatrical production to try to raise money for destitute veterans and had a breakdown on the stage. He had a flashback and uh -huh. wound up in the lunatic asylum in Kings County. Wow. And then That's... came back out and reading his pension records is just heartbreaking what this man went through. But he survived and was known as the old soldier in Brooklyn, lived into the early 20th century, and dedicated himself to 
listing the battles that Sims had fought in. Sims was in uh, Mississippi and Kentucky and North Carolina and uh, Maryland uh, early in the war when he was serving with the 13th. He uh, went uh, as a spy in plain clothes, out of uniform, into Baltimore to uh, collect intelligence on behalf of the Union. So um, he was a gallant man and a uh, very brave man. Well, that's certainly clear from his record and and the number of outstanding things uh, that we get in this book. Uh, describing what he and the 51st went through, it, it is remarkable how many places they were. I will say, uh, listeners, the book is very you know, nicely produced. I recall the same thing was true of uh, uh, the Final Camping Ground book. I don't know if it's it's uh, the the attention to material culture from uh, uh, from a cemetery's point of view, but the. It reproduces uh, Sims's sketches and uh, maps, and Sims really is artistic. I mean, these are these are not just crude sketches; they're really quite, uh, uh, you know, quite impressive. I would say. Yes, he he was uh, quite an artist. I think you start to get an understanding of this man. You know, he was one of the seven hundred fifty thousand citizen soldiers who died in the war. Uh, he believed in what he was doing. He served that 90 days and then immediately decided uh, he was going to step it up and recruit a company. And uh, it's really, I think, quite a remarkable story of it, it, it a is man who was tremendously admired by those with and even those... Um, he fought against. Uh, yeah, there's no question about that. He was certainly, I'm, I'm going to step mm-hmm. in again briefly. We'll take sure. another short break. Sure. We'll come back, talk more about the record of The Gallant Sims, Samuel Sims. The title of the book is The Gallant Sims, A Civil War Hero Rediscovered. Author Jeffrey I. Richmond, our guest tonight. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich talking tonight with Jeffrey I. Richmond, author of The Gallant Sims, A Civil War Hero Rediscovered. And Jeff is also the historian at Brooklyn's Greenwood Cemetery, where thousands of Civil War soldiers uh, lie today. And uh, Jeff has written about this in his uh, other works, including the, the book Final Camping Ground, both these books are really interesting and, and nicely produced volumes that tell you stories of soldiers as remembered uh, by their monuments, by the people who place the monuments, and uh, by the records that the cemetery has collected. Sims of the 51st New York is is a remarkable soldier. We've been talking about his record. Uh, so. Jeff, we've been talking sort of uh, around about the various battles, and listeners by this time have the correct impression that the 51st New York was engaged all over the place. They went with Burnside down to Roanoke Island and then fought at New Bern in uh, spring of 1862. I'm going to that battlefield in a week or so with uh, students here at East Carolina, and I'll look at it with with different eyes thinking about Sims' presence there. I didn't have this book in hand last year when I took a field trip there, but now I do. So maybe we'll add that to our, our coverage of the battlefield. Uh, but from there, the regiment uh, returned to Virginia in August of 1862, and it's just one thing after another. They end up at Second Bull Run and Chantilly, and then at Antietam, as you described, they were in, in one of the worst places on the battlefield. Uh, All right. Uh, you, you mentioned Burnside's Bridge. They were one of the two regiments that had to try to cross uh, under enemy fire from the bluff above, and uh, they, they eventually were successful. The colonel of the regiment, Sims is a captain uh, of a company. There's 10 companies in a regiment, uh, so he was not the leader of the regiment. The, I was interested to learn uh, who the colonel was because it's not somebody we associate with uh, Civil War heroism. Could you talk about that? Sure, sure. So this is Edward Ferrero, mm-hmm. who also is interred at Greenwood. Ah. And Ferrero's uh, claim to fame, his military connection, was that he was the dance instructor who taught the cadets at West Point how to dance. Ah. And that was essentially his background. And then, actually, we do have separately in our collections a letter from Ferraro to the governor of New York State at the time asking for help in organizing the 51st New York. And he became the colonel of that regiment. And uh, remarkably, as I researched this, they seem to have uh, thought well of him, the men of the 51st. But, of course... Ferrero's primary claim to uh, fame or infamy is his performance at the crater where he was in command of the uh, colored division of the Ninth Corps under Burnside and by many accounts seems to have been drunk in a bomb proof with uh, James Ledley 
another general there and not to have uh, done a great job, uh, to put it mildly. And so I've never been able to figure out why he was not court-martialed for what he did. But uh, bottom line was the 51st seems to have thought very well of Ferraro. Uh, Ferraro at the at Burnside's Bridge, I think many people know the story that both of the 51st regiments, New York and Pennsylvania, were offered a uh, extra ration of whiskey if they made it across, uh, according to General, uh, well then Colonel Ferraro. That's right. We'd, a couple of weeks ago on the show, uh, I interviewed a author of a book on alcohol in the Civil War, and. Uh, that anecdote was was re- retailed uh, again. So, uh, mm-hmm. listeners, we're all up on the the uh, bribe the soldiers with liquor story from the Burnside's Bridge, but the fifty first. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. No, no, I was just going to say that uh, uh, Ferrero, with his experience, uh, uh, returned to the uh, dance ball uh, business after uh, the war. And opened up a uh, dance instruction academy in New York City. So, fortunately, he got out of the military business. Wow, that that's interesting. I did not know that particular detail. I like that. So we actually have in our collection a book mm-hmm. called "Dance as I Have Found It" by Edward Ferraro. <laughs> Well, I, I'm a, a big fan of, uh, of of traditional dancing, old time dancing, contra, and old time square dancing. Uh, mm-hmm. Different from, I'm sure, what Ferraro taught. But I may have to look up that book now. Now, <laughs> after Antietam, the regiment uh, goes out of the frying pan into the fire. They end up at Fredericksburg and uh, have to, and they lose more men there. As you point out, Sims here is writing again letters to next of kin. But then they they caught a break and were, were sent west and, and stayed out of the heavy fighting for uh, a year. But this regiment really traveled around. You, you mentioned offhand they went to Mississippi, Kentucky. How, where were they going? What were they doing? Uh, as you said, they did go uh, into less severe duty. And so they were... Uh, he was actually spending quite a bit of the time as they were... Uh, bouncing around Kentucky and Mississippi uh, back in New York recruiting. And so we did find, uh, I did find during the course of researching this book, advertisements that he was running in the Brooklyn and New York newspapers uh, to recruit soldiers and the bounties that they were offering. So he was doing a lot of that work uh, coming back and forth and also accompanying recruits uh, from upstate New York, uh, where they had to have these recruits under guard to prevent mm-hmm. them from uh, running away after they had been uh, enlisted. So by the, this was later in the war, and the spirit is not burning so hot. We're getting the, the bounty men and the, the, the conscripts by this time in the war, presumably. That's correct, correct. And so they're guarding these guys to make sure that they make it uh, as far as yeah. Annapolis or Washington. Well, now, just glancing through the book here, another thing that really caught my eye was the uh, the battle song of the, the 51st, uh, the lyrics. It is a, uh, it, it, it's a, it said there was sung as they were approaching North Carolina shore in February 1862, written by uh, the chaplain. Mm-hmm. Is there a, 
I don't suppose there's a melody recorded anywhere for this, because uh, I would love to sing this song somewhere, <laughs> especially living here I in North Carolina. Know, yeah. <laughs> mm, I, I have not come across the uh, original vinyl of that, so, uh, uh, it, uh, <laughs> but it is kind of a remarkable song, and actually that Chaplin uh, got himself killed within a couple of weeks of writing that. But you can imagine these raw recruits marching into battle for the first time with drummer Jesse Mills drumming them in, and they're singing as they approach the Confederate fortifications. Quite, quite a, uh, a vision. In, in the name of God, we meet you. With the sword of God, we greet you. By the grace of God, we beat you on North Carolina's shore. Uh, again, living in North Carolina, I'm just very taken with that, uh, yeah. you know, those lyrics. Yeah. Well, uh, perhaps you'll so, get your class to sing that. So. <laughs> there we go. That, that was, <laughs> I don't know how that would go over, but I, I like the idea. Um, hmm. So we've talked about a number of the artifacts involved in, in the story. Uh, the, the, the flowers, the, the engraved peach pit, the other things that Sims sent home to his fiance, And uh, you have pieces of uniforms, of flags, and so on. Are these on display at Greenwood? Are they in archival storage? Uh, where are they? Uh, we have done several uh, Civil War exhibitions. Uh, we did one in 2007, one in 2015, and so they were displayed. And in fact, we have a uh, exhibition that is now uh, ongoing, which has uh, several of Captain Sims's letters with those uh, flower impressions on them, and one of the peach pits. And we also loaned one of the peach pits to the Brooklyn Historical Society when they had a uh, exhibition on the Civil War, so that they do get uh, seen. Uh, mm -hmm. Sadly, we do not have Captain Sims's sword, and so if you would allow me, I'll tell that story about... Yep. Yeah, I was going to ask that, yes. How, how did that okay, sure. come? So in 1880, mm -hmm. a uh, former Confederate captain by the name of James Steele writes a letter to the New York Herald and he says that uh, he was at the mine or the crater, Petersburg, 1864, in the 17th Regiment, South Carolina Volunteers, that there was a desperate hand-to-hand -hand fight, and a Captain Sims mounted the breastwork with great heroism and was killed. Actually, it turns out that Sims had nine bullet wounds in his body when his body was recovered by his men. And Steele writes about this glorious heirloom of a soldier whose conduct on this occasion was as heroic as ever illustrated any battlefield. And he describes him, in fact, as the gallant federal. Hmm. And so Steele says, I would like the New York Herald to see if you can locate Sims's family and I'd like to return this sword to them. And almost immediately, the veterans of the 51st telegraph down to Captain Steele and tell him that they're on it and uh, to hold on to the sword. And he actually, uh, they work out an arrangement. He walks 15 miles 
to an express office and ships that sword up to Brooklyn. And uh, his daughter, uh, Sims's daughter, then agrees to donate it to the armory at the of the fifty uh, first. And uh, from there, we lose track of it. But it was displayed in a, uh, oddly enough, a furniture store in downtown Brooklyn with a caption describing what Sims had done. And so this is 16 years after his death, uh, describing uh, his death, which also had been described by a fellow captain, George Washington Whitman, the best description of uh, Sims's death. Uh, he talks about how the men, when the mine was uh, triggered, moved forward into the uh, Confederate breastworks and were there for a couple of hours. And uh, if you've been to uh, the crater, you know the topography involves ravines from uh, uh, that are, make troops invisible to the enemy. And mm-hmm. so the 51st was in there ensconced in this, uh, what had been the Confederate line, and did not know that the Confederates were reforming. And that's when uh, Sims was killed in the counterattack that the Confederates launched. That is one of the most tragic battles of the Civil War, the idea of exploding a mine under the enemy's line and breaking through the resulting gap and then the, the mismanagement that had units like the 51st simply stay there instead of exploiting the gap. No one, no leadership was present. As you mentioned, uh, General Ferraro was not present with the troops, nor Ledley, and, and uh, regiments like the 51st, as well as the, the United States Colored Troops that were committed to the attack, all end up getting massacred in, in the crater, and Sims among them. Uh, really, really an unfortunate story, but the story also speaks to the uh, what we were talking about earlier, the charisma of this man, that, uh, that, that he made such an impression on, on one of the the opposing troops that, that the man sought to return the sword over a decade later. That really is, is quite a story. So, it is. Uh, it is. I, and the connection, real quickly, with sure. the, crater, uh, the crater and the mine, also uh, we learned from a newspaper account in the 1880s that one of Sims's comrades, had a bust of General Burnside that Sims had made from the clay that was dug out of the mine. Uh, and so another in artistic endeavor by uh, Captain Sims. Well, there, there's a, a lot to this story, and I'm sure uh, maybe a listener tonight will have a letter or a piece of information, and if so, contact the Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn and share that with our author and guest tonight, Jeffrey I. Richmond. Uh, the book is called The Gallant Sims, A Civil War Hero Rediscovered, uh, a paperback, but of unusual quality paper. It's just a pleasure to leaf through a book like this. And uh, a really handsomely illustrated and a dramatic story, both of how how the story was preserved and the story of Sims himself. Uh, Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing this with us tonight. Oh, well, thank you very much. It's really been a pleasure. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you.
Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thank you.